excited to be with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, I just, not that I want to make you feel bad, but um, I don't think you realize the sacrifice that I've had to make to, to be here this morning. And so you need to be really grateful I'm here. I turned down my invitation to the royal wedding. I was all set to go. I had my suit pressed. I was very chilled. It was going to be amazing. And then, you know, last minute, there was a change in the schedule. And I had to come here. So I've given up being in that wedding, you know. I mean, anyway. I mean, they're serving, they're serving bowl food in their reception. Bowl food. It's commoner's wedding. I'm glad I'm not there. I'm glad I'm with you. I've made the right choice, but I want you uh, to realize that. I don't know how much uh, attention you've been paying to the royal wedding. I'm, I don't think I've ever been more grateful to be in Dubai to, to, to be able to avoid the majority of it. The problem is I'm still signed up to BBC News, so I keep getting these email alerts about just the most ridiculous things. Prince Charlotte being a bridesmaid, and who's walking Meghan down the aisle, and whether Megan is spelt with an H or without an H, and I'm just like, I don't care. I just, I, I, I'm really sorry. But the only thing I would care about is if I was back in the UK, is back when William uh, married uh, Kate what, four years ago, five years ago, whenever it was, we got a public holiday for that. Harry, no public holiday. As I'm like, fine, if you're not giving me a day off work, then I don't care. Anyway, that's... Bizarrely, that's not what I'm actually going to preach about uh, this morning. No, I could spend half an hour just telling you my views of the royal family. What I want to do this morning is I want to carry on the series that we've been looking at today. And particularly uh, kind of transition us a little bit. So if you think about, we spent uh, four weeks kind of detailing uh, Jesus' journey to the cross, uh, what happened on the cross, his resurrection, and then his ascension. And then for the last uh, two weeks, both on Fridays and on Wednesdays as well, Mike has just been unpacking for us in just an amazing way who the Holy Spirit is and what it actually means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we've been kind of really kind of giving a lot of attention, a lot of focus on what happened on the day of Pentecost. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that really stood out to me that I knew but I don't think I maybe gave as much attention to, was this challenge that Mike gave us, the, the very challenge that Jesus gave his disciples. Wait in Jerusalem until you have been clothed in power. Wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed in power. And so that challenge that he that gave to us is, we need to wait for this. We need to not just say, well, I, I missed that moment. I wasn't there that Friday or... I've been so so busy. I, no, we need to be. We need to wait to be clothed in power. And there's lots and lots of grace in in the Christian walk. There are times that we'll be saved, and, and certain sins won't get resolved right in that moment. And, and we constantly are surrendering them to God, and, 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 and uh, God forgives us, and He strengthens us, so we can overcome. But there's a process. There's a, there's a process that goes on. But I think this sense, or this, this thing that Mike was talking about, wait on the Holy Spirit, and then, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world, is, is really um, 
one of these line-in-the-sand moments. Because if Jesus is saying that you need to wait to receive this so that you can do that, then who are we in our, in our, I mean, it's arrogant to say, well, I can do that without the waiting. That I can go and be that witness without first receiving the Holy Spirit. And so I think just to start this morning, we need to just be reminded of that challenge. And we're going to have a time of ministry at the end. And, and, I, and I know I'm not Mike, but you know what? People still can receive the Holy Spirit this morning. People still can be baptized afresh. People still, you know, there's not the sense, well, I've missed out on that moment, therefore I might as well just carry on. No, wait and be clothed in power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. And that's what I want to look at a little bit this morning is, well, what does that actually mean? What is the plan? What is the next step? Because I think one of the other things we have to be really careful of is that with something like we've, what we've just experienced over the last two weeks, it doesn't just sort of become a really good feel-good thing. A sense of, wow, it's amazing. I'm, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I have these spiritual gifts. I can do this and I can do that. Isn't my life great? Aren't I wonderful? And then and we stop. And, and we don't do anything with it. And it's coming back again to the scripture. Wait in Jerusalem. Be clothed with power of the Holy Spirit so that so there's a plan to it. It's not just for our own benefit. It's not just to make our own kind of um, a relationship better or our life better. Jesus commanded the disciples to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could carry on his plan and mission of bringing, of ushering in the kingdom of God to earth. And that challenge, that plan, is just as true for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. The whole reason that we want to spend, or we've spent this time focusing on who the Holy Spirit is, what it is that He does, how, how to be filled, what it anointing is, is so that we can actively participate in being bearers of this good news. That we can actively join in with being messengers and proclaiming that God's kingdom has come. So there must be a purpose, there, there must be a plan. And I want us to have a little look at that this morning. So I've touched on it a few times, but turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 1. And I, I just want to come back to the scripture because I think it is so much what God has done in my life this morning. So Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 7. So uh, Jesus has just gathered the disciples on the Mount of Olives. He spent 40 days um, teaching them post his resurrection. And this is the final words that Jesus, in, in, in kind of fleshly form, says not just to his disciples, but that he says to the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, uh, Judea Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up on the cloud, uh, lifted up, and the cloud took him out of sight. You may remember a few weeks ago when I was preaching on the ascension, we looked at this verse, and we looked at this idea that when Jesus ascended into heaven, this was basically his coronation ceremony. This was when he was becoming king. And there's that wonderful prophecy in the book of Daniel where it talks about God the Father handing over all power and all authority to the Son of Man, which was a, a sort of an Old Testament phrase for the Messiah, so Jesus. 
And so when Jesus is ascending into heaven, there is this, this moment in the Trinity where all power and all authority has been handed from God the Father to Jesus. And it's what allows Jesus to have the authority, to have the ability to say, I will give you what I have promised. I have promised you the Holy Spirit. And I now have the power and the authority to fulfill my promise. And so it is this, this really sort of critical moment. And then as we look for ten days, they, they, they waited in uh, Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out again. And instantly we see this transformation take place. We see this kind of, this, this, uh, this changing of thinking, this changing in action, this changing in who they are. And so what I want to do is look at almost like a textbook example of what this kind of living out, this proclaiming the good news of being witnesses looks like. And I think Acts 3 gives it to us perfectly. So Acts 3, chapter 1, uh, sorry, uh, Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate. He, he asked for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So, let's think about this. So, we pick up the story. Peter and John, and remember, at this, uh, this time, there was no such thing as Christianity. They were Jews who were kind of living on the next development of their faith. And so, certainly for the first, uh, at least kind of 30, 40 years, there was a group of Christians that continued to work in the temple. They would continue to perform um, the, the Jewish rites. They would continue to perform uh, sacrifice. Then when the temple gets destroyed around um, uh, 73 AD, I think it is, um, then obviously that's not even happened. And then this kind of change in Christianity starts to take place. And so Peter and John are just doing what they would normally do. They would go into the temple. It says in the ninth hour, so it's about the afternoon, and this is the time that, that one of the sacrifices would have been made. And so the thing to kind of bear in mind here is that Peter and John are just going about their ordinary life. They're just going about what they would have done a thousand times and what they would continue to do a hundred times a day. And it's the same way as, you know, we have a, a, you know, a supermarket at the bottom of where we live, you know, or, or going down and going and picking up milk. It would be the same as if, you know, just getting ready to drive to work or whatever it may be. This was just their everyday ordinary life. And so as they walk into the temple, they see that there is this uh, beggar. There is this man who's been crippled from birth. And so a group of his friends, obviously it says, carry him to this gate. So one of the things about being a good Jew was that you would give charity. And so he knew that if I kind of position myself just outside the temple, just as you know, on the way to where people are going to encounter God, people will feel more charitable. I mean, this was a, this was a genius idea. This was a, a good move. If you're going to beg, you might as well beg in a place that people are more likely to come. And so that beggar cries out like he would have done a thousand times. Ah, charity, do you have something that you can give to me? And we read this amazing response. So, uh, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter looked at him with empathy. I think many of the passers-by, maybe through the 
thrown a few coins, carried on with their conversation, and they kind of looked at each other. And Peter, and I think he, he saw this again and again, Jesus. Whenever Jesus encountered somebody that society didn't get, whenever Jesus encountered somebody where society had sort of pushed out to the outer limits, one of the amazing things about Jesus was that he would validate their humility. He would validate their dignity. So Peter, I love that moment. He gazed, he, he gazed at the man's heart. He looked into the man's heart. And so there, there's something in that moment where he is treating this man, this, this, this beggar, as a human being. Not just as a piece of charity to throw some money at, not just something to do, but you are a human being. You have worth. You have value. There is there is something special about you. You are a child of God. It's something that Jesus did again and again. And it's something that we see that the apostles picked up. That for all those moments of big crowd ministry, alongside it we see these moments of deep human interaction. These moments of looking deeply into someone's eyes. With that so desperately wants to see someone just as a number, just as a statistic, just as a piece of data. And one of the greatest gifts that we can give people is to say, no, you're not a number. No, you're not a piece of data. No, you're not a statistic. silver and gold, but what I do have to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and take your feet. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter and John say, I have no gold. I have no silver. I have nothing that actually what the world will say will be the solution to your problem. But actually, I have something so much more valuable to offer. And I give that to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and take your feet. In the name of Jesus, rise up and take your feet. And then they reached out his hand and picked him up. And it says that his, uh, his ankle and his feet and his ankle were strengthened. This is just a little aside. 
There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Let us never forget the power that comes with that name. For when we declare something in the name of Jesus, what we're actually saying is, I myself have no power and no authority to do this, but I know that Jesus does. And so as a vessel of Jesus, as, a, as somebody who is called to be a bearer of Jesus to this world, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' authority, and in his power, then I command this situation to change. I command this situation to change. And that's why blaspheming the Lord's name may seem like nothing, but, but what you're doing is you're actually saying that that name, that that power, that authority is worthless. And so that's why we need to be precious about the name of Jesus, because there is power in that name. Regardless of the situation we're in, regardless of the context, the name of Jesus is greater than everything. And so they reached out, they picked him up, and then it says, uh, verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat by the beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And so in this moment, this, this going about their everyday life, and you know what? I don't think they even stopped to really think about this. They, they, they see this man, they, they look at him, they validate him as a human, and they just go, you know what? In the name of Jesus, stand. And he does. And so suddenly, now the crowds around them are kind of in awe and wonder at this, this miracle that has taken place. And Peter, and this is what I love Peter, he doesn't miss a trick. And so he instantly kind of goes into this amazing preach where he starts just laying out the gospel. And it finishes this, uh, uh, verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, talking about Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. He seizes this moment. everyday opportunity to proclaim the good news and so for me this becomes this textbook example of what does it mean to be people who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit and have gone out into Jerusalem Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth to be witnesses of God so I think first and probably most importantly it's going to happen in the everyday it's going to happen in the context that you that you naturally find yourself in. It's going to happen, you know, we don't need these great strategic evangelistic plans. We don't need these 20 steps to kind of bring in someone to Jesus. What we need to be, be doing is walking and living our life in a way that's open to the Holy Spirit. So when we hear that whisper, go pray for that man. Go speak that word of encouragement to that woman, whatever it may be that we instantly respond and go, okay. And then whatever happens in that moment, we seize the opportunity and we lay out the good news of Jesus. It says a chapter later in Acts 4, verse 4, that 5,000 people came to faith because of that one man, because of the testimony that came about. 5,000 people. And just think about it. If Peter and John had carried on in their conversation and, and, and not even 
sin, not that they're, but they're not being lazy, but just focusing on what they can do. They know 5,000 people can never become can never really underestimate the impact that we have of when we become a bearer of God's good news. And so we could end the preaching there. You know, we need to take the opportunities that present themselves. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. We need to use the power. Fish, fast, fast, stuff. And that would be good. That would be a good preach. I mean, any preach of about 10 minutes is generally always a good preach. But I don't know about you, but I know me. I was sitting and I heard a preach like this. Suddenly this kind of fear and this dread would start to creep up inside me. And it would be, well, that's all very well good for you. That's all good if you're an extrovert. That's all good if you have the spiritual, you know, the, the anointing of evangelism. But I could never do that. I could never just go and offer to pray for a stranger. I could just never kind of lay out What does it mean to address this fear? And actually, we see the answer a little bit later in Acts 4. So as a result of uh, this healing, the, 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 the temple guards are really annoyed. The, the high priest is frustrated. And so Peter and John, they get arrested. They get thrown into jail overnight. And then they're, they're brought before the court the next morning. So we can pick up in verse uh, 5. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. On the next day... Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And asked the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all who were on the, of the high priestly family. And when they had said, uh, set them in their midst, they cried, By what power or what name do you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well and before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected. Sorry, this stone was, uh, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else, for no other name under heaven can be given among the men by which we must be saved. So again, Peter, he seizes this opportunity. He realizes, you know, that this is costing him everything, and he lays out the gospel. But the next verse is, is just amazing. And this has to be, I know Mike says this all the time, but this has to be one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized the solution to that fear, that dread, that I can't do it. The first one is, is uh, the saying is, the boldness of Peter and John. The boldness of Peter and John. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But the second one is that they just realize, they, they recognize that these were people who had been persecuted. When I die in 160 years, I'm 
Kasi alam na kami ang Pilipinas at the Philippines. Let the Lord do whatever He wants to do. But anyway, when I die in 160 years, if there's only one thing that is said about me, I want it that people recognize that I have been I want my life to tell a story that when people see the deeds, when people see the hurdles I've overcome, when people see the storms that I've, um, that I've managed to walk through, when I've seen whatever it may be, that the shouting testimony of it again and again is here is a man who has been with Jesus. Here is a man whose whole life has been transformed by this God. Here is a man who, who, who he cannot explain his story. We cannot tell the narrative of his life if we take out that Jesus is king. I want people to look at my life and say, here is a man who has been with Jesus. And it comes back to this whole thing in Acts chapter 1. Wait until you have received the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can go and be my witnesses. I can only do what I do because I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I can only do what I can do because I know that I am with Jesus, that I am not alone in this. It is not me doing it, but it is Christ working through me. And so I think the first answer to that problem of that fear of, but I can't do that, is actually you're not meant to do it. It is Jesus doing it through you. And so you do you don't need to be afraid because it's not your power, it's not your authority, it's not your skills, it's not your ability, but it's Jesus's. And so if we trust that Jesus is who he says he is, if we trust that Jesus was fully God and fully man, if we trust that he died on the cross perfectly bearing our sin and our curse so that we could be restored to God and three days later he rose again, if we have that just need to get out of the way and we just need to allow God to do what God is going to do. One of the greatest struggles that I have when I'm preparing a preach, and sometimes it can take me days and even days, is I have these great ideas. And I will probably go through three or four drafts of a preach. And you know what? The first one or two drafts will be amazing and that's all I ever preach it. And I always have to get that out because I have to get out the way so that Jesus can be the one who speaks through me. And whatever that may be in your life, in your context, one of the things that we are called today, and it's why Jesus says to us that to daily pick up our cross, to daily surrender ourselves to God, because when we get out the way, then God can offer those opportunities. I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is idea of boldness. So jump down to verse 23. So Peter was then uh, meeting with the disciples, and he prays this prayer. When they released, they went with their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voice to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The king of earth set um, themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his truly in this city that were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Both Herod
know that Pontius Pilate among the Gentiles is looking for a witness to do whatever your hand and plan has suggested to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to be pleased to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, uh, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This boldness that it talks about that was recognizable, the boldness of Peter and John, wasn't just um, they were outgoing. It wasn't just that they were extroverts. It just, wasn't what, uh, it just was the sense of that their personality type, that their Myers-Briggs, that their strength finder means that they had that particular component that boldness was that God's Holy Spirit strengthened them to be able to stand and confess Jesus. And so with Peter and John and the disciples, pray, God, pour out your boldness on them. Pour out your boldness to continue to proclaim your name. And how much more do we need that prayer? How much more should that be the prayer that we're praying as we walk up to that stranger, as we come along beside that person in our office, as we as we kind of stand in this place of prayer for someone in our school. God, give me the boldness to proclaim your name. See, the problem is we we try and do so much in our own strength. And what we see in this beautiful scripture is that we don't have talk about prayer. I pray also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, I mean, sort of, obviously second to Jesus, I was like, no one has shaped the Christian faith more than Paul, and he is asking the church in Ephesus, pray for me that I have boldly that we proclaim what we have received. We cannot give something that we don't have. And so for us, when we go out and proclaim boldly, we're saying, we're proclaiming that we have an identity as a son and daughter of God, that we have faith in his name, that the same power that Jesus, uh, that raised Jesus from the dead is working in us, that all authority has been given to Jesus, that there is power through the Holy Spirit, the righteousness of Christ, the assurance that he answers our prayers, the witness to his work in our lives. And so then what it means is that we proclaim Christ crucified and what that means. That God's kingdom has come, that there is forgiveness of sins, that there is uh, through repentance, that there is newness of 
is hope. The world is desperate for people to come and speak a message of hope. The world is desperate for people to come and share that your reality, that your situation, that your sin, that your brokenness, that your hurt that you find yourself in is not the end of the story, but it is merely a chapter to the end. Jesus, the author of life, can rewrite your story. He can surrender your life. So one of the encouragements that I want to give today is that we need to make sure that all these things that we're saying we proclaim, all these things that we're saying that we have received in our lives, that they are true. And so if you don't believe that you're a son and a daughter, a son or son or a daughter of the king, then you will not be able to proclaim that. And so Holy Spirit, break in and restore to me my adoption, restore to me the truth of my identity. If you don't believe that, that, that God answers prayers, then Holy Spirit, come and break in and show me that you are the great provider. Show me that you are the God who overcomes every situation. And you know what? There is nothing wrong with being honest with God, of getting down on your knees and of saying, God, in this moment, in this situation in my life, I do not believe this, but I trust that it is true, so reveal it afresh to me. You know, sometimes we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Sometimes we need to lay out the truth and say, this is what I There's sort of two elements to this boldness that, that, that we're uncovering. I think the first thing that we have to kind of understand is that one of the boldness that we talk about, we'll start with this little story, but part of the boldness that God gives us is he reminds us that we now, through Jesus, have boldness to enter the throne. We have boldness now to call him Father. Bring forward circle, the Quintara, I don't know if you remember, there was a video clip um, about a year ago that went out, it was at the Invictus Games, uh, watching some sport, and there was a, there was a mum sitting next to him, and there's this little girl on her lap, and um, Quintara had this uh, tub of popcorn, and she just kept reaching over and stealing his popcorn, and it was this beautiful kind of, it's, it's just lovely video, and obviously he knows what's going on, and so there's this moment, again, where he kind of looks at her and kind of meets her, her, her gaze, and then kind of puts his hand and hands her the popcorn, and I think there's this beautiful image in that of the boldness that she had. She was secure in who she was. You know, she was sitting next to royalty. She was sitting next to a throne of one of the greatest nations that has ever been created on earth. Don't hate me for the truth. But yet she still had that boldness to reach out. And so I think for some of us, this is one of the things that we're going to pray for today, is we need God to restore to us the boldness to be able to approach him in his throne room. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites were not to gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to him. But their mind
like for hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away but when one turns to the Lord that veil is removed now the Lord is the spirit and when the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom but we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God and are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another for this comes from the Lord So I think one of the things that God wants to do this morning is for some of us to, to pour out upon us a fresh spirit of boldness to enter into his presence. A boldness to be reminded that that veil has been lifted. That no longer does his glory have to be separated because of our sinful nature, but because of Jesus' work on the cross, we now can come into the presence second thing is that, that I want to pray for this morning is like Peter, like Paul, and like many others, pray for me that I may have the boldness to proclaim your name. Pray for me that I have the boldness that in my work, in my school, in my home, wherever it may be, that I can proclaim the name of Jesus. So if you just uh, rise saying this is what I need in this moment this is what I'm asking 